Yeah, I love that clip. You know, sometimes when it comes to faith, you, you have all the faith in the world, right? But you just didn't get the directions clearly. So we're going to study a passage today about getting the directions clearly from God and what it means to walk by faith, okay? Kind of like that, okay? Pray with me. Father God, thank you so much for what it means to walk by faith. That without faith, it's impossible to please you. You want us to trust you, follow you. So Father, today, uh, continue this summer-long journey of learning about faith. Faith the way you've designed it to be lived. We love you. We ask you to do that. In Christ's name, amen. Good morning. I want you to go back with me in time to about the 1840s. Picture of the 1840s. Picture you and your family have uh, traveled uh, over several generations. You made it from like the East Coast where your family uh, uh, em- uh, emigrated. And, and, and slowly you've kind of moved and you bought a little farm in, oh, let's say Missouri. Anybody from Missouri here? Anybody? Yeah, there's one back here. Boy, go like this. Come on, show some pride, right? Okay. So you traveled to Missouri, and, or you traveled to Illinois, you traveled to, to even Kansas, and, and all of a sudden, though, you hear stories that you know something, there's something better. It's a new place. It's a new place that you hear stories about. Remember, this is pre-internet. This is pre-pictures. This is pre-everything. You hear stories, though, of a new place, a new land, free land, oceanfront property. The gold rush is on in the great state of California. So you hear these stories about California and you say, you know something, I just feel restless in my spirit. I don't want to just settle down. Yeah, this is a good life, but that sounds like a great life. This is a good place, but that sounds like a great place. So you decide, uh, let's, let's, let's go for it. And you talk to your wife and your husband or your husband. I'm going to say who, who dreams up this wacky idea. Probably the husband. We dream up most wacky ideas. But you talk to your wife. You talk to the kids. And you say, you know something? We're going out west. We're going to California. So you, you, so you pack up. You know, you sell off the family farm and you pack up your wife and kids. You've got to make sure you get that straight. You don't sell off the wife and kids and pack up the farm, okay? Yeah, you sell the family farm, you pack up the wife and kids, and you take the most precious things to you that you don't want to leave behind, and you put them in a covered wagon. And you buy this wagon and you, and you buy a ticket to, to, to latch on to a bunch of other wagons and make a wagon train. And this wagon train is going to be for safety and together you're going to go out west because you're going to be a pioneer. You're not going to settle down. You're going to pioneer a new life in a new land of California. And you take off. And you start traveling across Kansas and you've been told this is going to be a rough trip, right? And you start traveling across Kansas and man, Kansas, you're ahead of time. You're, you're like a week ahead of time. You're, you're knocking out the miles faster than you ever dreamed you would. And you know why? Because Kansas is what? Flat and boring. I'm sorry. How many Kansas people did I just insult? Any? No Kansas people? Okay, no Jayhawks in the room? Okay. So, you know, so the, the bottom line is you travel across Kansas and you're ahead of time. And then you get to Colorado, eastern Colorado, and you think, we've heard Colorado's a little tougher. But, you know, you're, you're making great time through eastern Colorado. You know why? Eastern Colorado, what's it like? 
Kansas. <laughs> it's just like more of Kansas. You know, it's flat. It's easy. You're ahead of time. And then all of a sudden you look in the distance and you're about halfway through Colorado and you look in the distance and you, and you see these things in the, in the air and you think, wow, it looks like clouds. And you get closer and you realize that's not clouds. That's snow on the mountaintop. Mountains with snow in July. You've never seen that before. Uh, you've seen hills. You've seen the hills of beautiful states like West Virginia. Just slip that in there. <laughs> but you say, that's not a mountain, that's a hill. West Virginia, Missouri, Kentucky, Illinois, these aren't mountains. That's a mountain. So you pull up the wagons at night and you circle them up. And the wagon master, he comes around and he says, I want everyone to get a good night's sleep tonight because tomorrow... We're going over those mountains because that's where California is. It's on the other side of those mountains. Well, that night you have a conversation with your spouse. I won't say which one says what, but she says to him, <laughs> So, sweetheart, I've been looking around lately, and this little town of Colorado Springs, I mean, man, it's looking nice. They're building, uh, they're building a, a church for the Baptists down there. The Baptists are building a church, and... And, and the Episcopalians are building a church and, and they're building a little saloon and that's for the Episcopalians too. But uh, I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Okay. But, you know, it's for whoever. Okay. But they're building a store and a general store. And wow, this, they're, they're going to have a schoolhouse for our children. And, and there's plenty of fresh water out of the mountains and plenty of game. And, and the winters are not too harsh here on the east slope of the Rockies. So why don't we just... Settle down here. Because after all, I'm looking around and I've, I've heard stories of California, but isn't this, and here's the key word, good enough. See, the words good enough are not pioneer words. Those are settler words. Because if it's good enough, why not just settle down and stay where you are? Which proves, by the way, that Colorado was settled by quitters. <laughs> How many people are from Colorado? I'm, trying, I'm just trying to tick off everyone across the U.S., okay? Yeah, I'm just teasing. It wasn't settled. Well, maybe it was settled by some quitters. But, you know, Colorado was settled by those who wanted to settle down. Some would say, well, they were smart. They knew the property values in California would be out of sight. But, but the reality is, okay, they lost the vision of going for something better, of pursuing a bigger dream. That's what I call a pioneer spirit. And I think as we study our passage today, what I'm out to teach you is this. Faith has a pioneer spirit built into it, especially the faith of the man we'll study, Abraham and his wife. Faith has a pioneer spirit, and I think we're going to see today that even spiritually, this is going to apply to our personal lives, to our life as a church, because the reality is faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things unseen. It's going after what has not yet happened in your life or in the life of our church. See, that's where I think God says, listen, look, at the story of Abraham. Now, let me set you up by this. 
Abraham is the father of faith. Now, why do I say that? Because Hebrews 11 is the hall of fame of people of faith, right? It's the big stories of big faith. So far, we've had a whole series of them. We've looked at, we haven't looked at all of them, but we've looked at, you could have looked at Enoch and, and, uh, and, and Abel and, and, and Noah last week. And all of these stories of faith, one person, one story, one verse. One person, one story, one verse. Now we come to Abraham. Guess what? One person, along with Sarah, five stories, 12 verses in the one chapter on the heroes of faith. So what's that tell you about Abraham? I think what it should tell you is when God came to Abraham's life and he wants to teach us about faith, he said there is no one who ever lived that you can learn more about faith from apart from Jesus. We'll come to him at the end of the summer. There's no one you can learn more from than Abraham. Let's look at his faith. Listen to the word of God. Look at Hebrews chapter 11. Pick it up with me in verse 8. I'll show you the stories. There's five stories. We're going to very quickly do an overview of four of them today. We're saving the best one till last next week. Here we go. By faith, Abraham, when he was called by God, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Second story, by faith, Abraham lived as an alien in, a la- in the land of promise that he, that he arrived in, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise, for he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Hmm. Third story, by faith. Even Sarah herself, now he goes to Sarah, his wife, even Sarah herself received the ability to conceive, that is a baby, even beyond the proper time of life. In other words, in her old, in her old years, old age. Since she considered God faithful who had promised. Therefore, there was born even of one man and him as good as dead at that. I love that commentary, okay? That's kind of how Becky feels about me sometimes. Yeah, Dale's getting old. In fact, he's as good as dead. Okay, yeah, Abraham is really old. That's the point. He's so old that Scripture said he was like, when it comes to having babies, he's as good as dead. Okay, that part of his life is long since died. And also in Sarah. But notice how faith plays itself out. Because it says, even though she was in her latter years and he was as good as dead when it comes to having children, that by faith, since she considered God faithful who had promised, they had as many descendants as the stars of the heaven in numbers and as innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. That is, the people of Israel grew out of Abraham and Sarah who were childless at the time they believed God's promise. And then verse 13 says this, fourth example, and all these by faith or in faith believed without even receiving the promises, having seen them and welcomed them from a distance. But they never really fully experienced this promise that God had made to them. But by faith they believed it. Four quick stories, and together I think they kind of unpack, for me at least, and hopefully for you, 
an essence of this pioneer spirit that is behind faith. So what do we learn? Let's take it one story at a time. Number one, by faith, and I love the way that it puts this. Let me read it to you. By faith, it says that Abraham went out, not even knowing where he was going. He obeyed God, and he went out, not even knowing where he was going. Now, Abraham lived about 2165 B.C. is estimated as his time of birth. So you're talking about 2,000 plus years before Christ. He lived in an area that's described as Ur of the Chaldees. He lived in a very wealthy area, in a very successful family. Abraham was not some peasant farmer uh, in uh, Missouri or Illinois or Ohio or even West Virginia. This guy was a man who came from a wealthy, educated, successful background is all the indicators. But yet, in spite of the fact that we learn from Scripture that his parents worshipped false gods, they worshipped false idols, somehow Abraham came to faith in the true God to faith in the God that would later be called the God of Israel, the God of the universe, our Creator God. And Abraham came to faith. And Abraham came to faith, and God came to Abraham. And the story is recorded. Keep your finger in Hebrews and go with me to Genesis chapter 12, which is kind of at the very heart of today's passage. I wish we had time to read Genesis 12 through chapter 18. This week... Uh, you'll have a chance if you do the encounters with God that we do our daily encounters, you'll read many of these stories. But I'll try to summarize them today for sake of time. Genesis 12, though, goes this way. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country, from your relatives, from your father's house, to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot, his nephew, went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So it jumps to Haran. Now let me back up a little bit and show you that in reality, God had delivered this message to Abraham not once, but twice. In fact, if you listen to the commentary in Acts chapter 7, keep your, just listen to it, I'll read it to you. Acts chapter 7, here it is. Acts chapter 7, verses 2 through 4, if you want to write the reference, says this, and this is Stephen uh, recounting the story of Israel's history and of God's faithfulness to them. And Stephen says this as he's giving his defense of his faith to the high priest. He says, um, he says and, and Stephen said, Hear me, brethren and fathers. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran, and said to him, Leave your country and your relatives, and come into the land which I will show you. And then he left the land of the Chaldeans, and he settled north in Haran from there. And then after his father died, God had him again move to this country in which you are now living, that is, the land of Israel. So if you were to picture this on a map, here's kind of Abraham's journey as depicted. 
It begins in that little town in the bottom right-hand side of Ur. It's not a little town. It was a major city, a major one of the most developed cities in this fertile crescent area of the Tigris and Euphrates rivers as they come down toward the Persian Gulf. This is a very wealthy, developed part of the world at that time. So Abraham is a man living in the best part of the world with all the advantages that come with that. And God comes to him and he says, Look, I want you to leave your old behind and I'm going to give you something very new. I'm going to give you a new life in a new land and I'm going to build from you a great nation. And that great nation will end up being a blessing to not just you or itself, but to the entire world. All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through Israel and through the Messiah, Jesus, who will come out of him. So Abraham is given this promise when he's in Ur. So he travels from Ur north past uh, Babylon and, and on up through the Euphrates River Valley to Haran, and he stops and he settles down there for a while. We're not sure exactly all that's going on, but we do know that it was in Haran that his father finally dies. And after his father dies, God comes to him again and says, Abraham, this is not where I want you. This has been a stop off along the way, but now get up and go and go on down to the land which I will give you. So he travels southwesterly toward the Canaan, the area of Canaan, uh, uh, occupied by the Canaanites, by the way, who f- worship false gods, vicious people. But he goes there and he's living a nomadic life. He's very wealthy. In fact, one of the verses I give you in your outline, Genesis 13:2, directly says that, that now Abram was very rich in livestock and in silver and in gold. So this guy has been growing his wealth even as he journeyed and traveled. And he goes down to the Holy Land, his holy promised land that God had promised him. And then he goes on tough times. He later goes on down to Egypt, uh, has a rough time, has some failures of faith on that journey, turns around, God moves him back up into uh, Canaan and ends up um, there. But even in that time, as we'll see in a minute, he's still living a nomadic life. He doesn't really occupy the land, but this is the land that God had promised him. And he begins to multiply his descendants. Now, as we think about the principle in this story, here's how I think I would summarize it. It's this. The key principle is that faith, Abraham's faith, a pioneer kind of faith, obeys God going where it's never gone before. Going where it's never gone before. That's the theme of Abraham's life. According to Hebrews 11, that's the key element, is that he got up and obeyed God and he took off and followed God even though he did not know exactly where he was going or where he would end up. God had promised him a new life in a new land. He trusted God and he left his old behind to go to the new. So if you think about this principle that faith is willing to say, okay, God, I've never done that before, but if that's what you want me to do, by faith I'll follow you. That's what Abraham illustrates for our lives. And I think in our everyday life, we see this illustrated. Let me show you the illustration. The illustration or application plays out like this, that faith always involves letting go, taking hold, trusting God. Letting go, taking hold, trusting God. It's kind of like the three steps of faith that Abraham took. Where do I see this? Well, when you listen to the description, here's how it's described in Genesis chapter 12 that I read a little bit ago. It says this, 
let go of the old. He let go of the old. He said, I want you to leave. You're going to leave your country, your relatives, and your father's house, which means his possessions and wealth, even though his father ends up going with him. So the, the bottom line is, you're leaving your old life. We know from uh, Judges 24.2, if you want to write the reference, Judges 24.2 tells us that Abram's father and uncle worshipped false gods. They weren't believers. Abraham didn't get his faith from his parents. Abraham left behind the false faith of his parents, the false idols of his parents, was willing to follow the true God, go for it, and go wherever that God led him. And this is a radical expression of faith because he had to let go of the old. When we come to Jesus Christ, there is always an old life with old idols and old gods that defined us, controlled us, and that we lived for. Because we live in a culture in which we have false gods. What were some of the false gods of the American culture? Very quickly, name some of those. What? Oh, Pokemon Go. Okay, I, oh, I couldn't believe we couldn't get away from that. Yeah, okay, you know, today it is. I mean, it's a controlling. Don't tell me if there's one in the room. I don't want it here. But anyway, all of you are checking. Do not check. Okay, okay. This is a Pokemon-free environment. I've just declared it. Okay. Now, but what else? What are some of the other gods? So entertainment would be a god. Let me broaden the Pokemon. Entertainment would be a god. What else? The Mountaineers. The Mountaineers. Sports allegiances could be a god. <laughs> Next topic. Yeah, some of us get too much into our sports, don't we? Okay. Baylor Bears. But anyway, here we go. What else? What? Possessions? Yeah, possessions, wealth, careers, even family. You know, we can worship family. We can worship our kids. We can worship the security. We can worship this aspect, various aspects of how we define success in life. And, and so when you decide to follow Christ, there's always a letting go of the old, a taking hold of the new, which is Christ and the life he calls us to, and then trusting God to provide as we go on that journey. Trusting God to use us for Christ. So I think that Abraham, in my mind, is a great illustration of that. See, pioneers had to do that. Pioneers had to say, yeah, we've got a good life here, but this is not the life we're made for. We're made for California. So in which case, you've got to leave old behind, you've got to just pack up the essentials, and you've got to move and go with God somewhere else. And, and I think that spirit is, needs to be true in our lives. See, there's always things that God will say, Dale, I want you to stop living for that. I want you to leave that behind. I've got a better reason for you to be on planet Earth, and it's wrapped up in your identity in Jesus Christ and what He wants to do to, to you and through you and, and, and go after it. There's often a putting off of the old and a putting on of the new, to use the language of Colossians chapter 3, for example. And I think that's what I see illustrated as Abraham literally gets up and goes. He gets up and goes. Second story, verses 9 and 10. It says, And Abraham then was willing not just to go, but... Pick it up now in verse 9. By faith, Abraham then lived as an alien or an outsider in the land of promise, 
as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the promise. For he was looking for the city whose foundation, whose architect and builder is God. Now, this is a, a difficult passage, but in essence, I think it's saying this. What it's describing now is that period of Abraham's life where even though he arrived in his promised land, he didn't own it. He didn't control it. The Canaanites did. And he's just a traveling, growing nation. But at this point, God is not saying, Abraham, it's your job now to kick out the Canaanites. That will come later, by the way, with Joshua, right? But for right now, God says, Abraham, this is your land, but I realize you don't really possess it. But trust me, I have a plan. And Abraham needed to keep trusting God even when he wasn't fully experiencing owning the land of promise. And Isaac did the same thing, and Jacob did the same thing. You know, so the reality is sometimes God has a promise, but you don't fully experience it even in your lifetime. But yet Abraham stayed obedient to God, trusted God daily, even while living outside of the full promise. So therefore, how do I summarize this passage? I do it with this phrase. The principle is this. The principle is that a pioneer faith travels light ready to move with God and trust Him to deliver in His own time. I would add the phrase, in His own time. So he's trusting God to deliver in His own time. And he also understood that life is more about something that's eternal than just something that's temporal. Because it has this strange phrase. He realized that ultimately he's living with his sights on a city whose builder and architect is God, right? I think in, in my life spiritually, here's what this reminds me of, that I need to realize this is not my promised land. This is not my promised home. This is not my true destination. Yes, God has promised to give me life, but even this life that he gives me now as a follower of Jesus, I'm a temporary dweller in a strange land on planet earth. My real home is heaven. My real reward is in heaven. My riches will be in heaven, not on planet earth. And Abraham was willing to live that nomadic life because he was trusting God that ultimately God had something bigger and better that God was going to provide for him. So we see this kind of, hey, he was willing to live in tents and and, and go where God led him to go, trusting God to deliver his promise in due time. So how do we kind of apply this principle? I think in, in our lives today, here's how I would word the application. It's don't stress over stuff. Love people and trust God's timing. And we see that in Genesis 13, especially in the story of Abraham and Lot. And, and there's stories in Genesis of Abraham living in the land but not possessing the land yet. And what happens? Let me give you the summary, but please do the appointments with God or what we now call daily encounters this week. If you read those stories, you're going to see them. But the story goes like this. Abraham's now in the land. His, 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 his livestock is being blessed by God. It's multiplying. His nephew Lot, who is with him, is also becoming very wealthy with an extra large blessing of livestock and herds. And and all of a sudden there's not enough grazing land for them to be together. And there's conflict between their people. And Abraham takes the high road and he says, Okay, look, Lot, I value people over things. 
Because of his love for people, not stressing over stuff, Abraham says, therefore, you look around, Lot, you pick whichever land you want, you go that direction, I'll go the other direction. What does Lot do? He does the same thing any good business guy would do. He picks the best. He decides to pick the best grasslands for his uh, turf, and he chooses that, and Abraham says, all right, I'll go to this other land. It's not as good, but that's okay, because Abraham wasn't stressed over whether or not God could provide for him. He wasn't stressed over his wealth. He wasn't stressed over making sure he got the best deal. But he showed love to Lot to avoid conflict, and he trusted God. And you know what God does in the story? It ends kind of cool. God takes Abraham up on a hill and says, Hey, guess what, Abraham? You just gave away the best turf, right? Guess what? I want you to look to the north, the south, the east, and the west. All of it's going to be yours. I'm going to give you all of it. It's going to be your land. The land of your people. Not right now. But you're going to own it all. And it's just kind of a great reminder that when I'm living life, you know, I have got to travel through life. I've got to, I've got to not stress over stuff. If we stress over wealth and success as defined by this life on this planet, if we stress over that and we don't value people more than possessions, we have conflict and it wrecks our lives. And even if we have all the stuff, you don't enjoy it. Better to say, you know, God, I want to trust you to take care of me. I want to value people. And I won't stress over stuff. Because I realize my ultimate reward, my ultimate wealth is my inheritance in Jesus Christ and the eternal things you're going to give to me. See, that's Abraham's illustrating that for us. So see, faith is willing to go where it's never gone before. Faith is willing to not stress over stuff, but, but, but live for eternal things. Third story. Now he switches to Sarah. Sarah gets her moment in Hebrews chapter 11. And it says this. Pick it up in verse, uh, verse 11. It says this concerning Sarah. It says, By faith, even Sarah, as well as Abraham, herself received the ability to conceive, that is a baby, in her old, even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered God faithful who had promised. And therefore, there was born even of one man, and him as good as dead. I love that. Abraham. He's old. Sarah's old. But it says, because of Sarah's faith, she received the ability to conceive the baby. Now, what do we learn from Sarah's story? I don't have time to read Genesis 14 to 18, but write it down and read it this week. Fascinating story. But to me, the highlight of the story is an angel of the Lord comes to Abraham in his old years. Abraham has already had a couple stumbles of faith, failures of faith. He he thought, well, if Sarah can't have a baby, maybe I'll let Sarah's servant have a baby. He has a a baby with with Hagar, Sarah's servant, uh, you know, which in that culture, they would often do that. But yet, it was not God's plan, and it led to all kinds of problems, even today. So the reality is, man, his faith is up and down. He's going down the wrong path. He's making mistakes. And then the angel of the Lord comes and announces to Abraham um, that 
a year from now, Sarah's going to deliver a baby. And he will be the child that I've promised you so that you can become a great nation. And Abraham, in the meantime, Sarah is in the tent and she's overhearing this. And scripture tells us, if you read the story, it's recorded in chapter, chapter 18. Write down chapter 18, 11 through 15 of Genesis. Because it records how Sarah hears the angel of the Lord, who, which is probably the, the incarnate Christ, by the way. The pre-incarnate Christ, excuse me, the pre-incarnate Christ. And she laughs. She laughs at the promise of the angel. She doesn't believe it. And the angel, but she says she laughs within herself. So she doesn't laugh out loud. She's laughing in her spirit. Okay? And the angel says, why has your wife Sarah, why is she laughing at this? And, of course, Sarah says, I didn't laugh. Yeah, she's laughing at God. She doesn't believe God. But the beauty of Hebrews 11 is even when doubting God, she later comes to believe the promise and God delivers. About three months later, she conceives. About a year later, she gives birth. And the rest is history. So what do we learn from this? I think the principle in Sarah's life is this. It's that faith journeys are seldom smooth, often messy, but they grow us as we trust God for his promises. See, the story, I love the fact that it's not like these perfect people always have faith, always do it right. Abraham and Sarah stumbled at times. They doubted at times. They had their ups and downs with God. They laughed at God at times. And sometimes we feel like that, right? Sometimes you don't have faith. But I'm glad that when we don't have faith, God doesn't kick us out of the family. He loves us by his grace, journeys with us until he brings us to that point of faith, and then he blesses. So I just think it's a great principle, you know, so that as we illustrate it, I illustrate this principle with a New Testament verse. Let me show it to you. It's this. It's Philippians chapter 3, 13 and 14, which says this. Brethren, I do not regard myself. This is the Apostle Paul. This is his approach to life. I don't regard myself as having laid hold of spiritual maturity yet. He says, I realize i got a long way to go. I still sin. I still make mistakes. But then he says this. But this one thing I do, and the one thing he does has three parts. He does one thing with three parts. And they're captured in the underlined words. He forgets what lies behind, reaches forward to what lies ahead, and he presses on toward the goal of his prize in Christ Jesus. Now, notice those three words. Forget what lies behind. Yesterday is history. Whether you had faith or not, whether you stumbled or not, God's grace covers it. It's history. Don't live in the past. Put your focus on the true goal of being like Christ, serving Christ, being transformed by Christ to be all that He wants you to be. Put your, put your sights there, reach forward to what lies ahead, and then exert some energy into it. Press on. It's a, it's a word that, that, that in Greek that means you work hard. You work hard at applying yourself to your faith. 
You don't just pray and, and suddenly become mature because you ask for it. No, you set your sights on being like Christ, and then you open the Word of God, you serve Christ, you get involved in things that promote your spiritual growth, you press on toward the goal. And if that's a pioneer, right? That's what a pioneer had to do. One day they bust a wagon axle, the, the wheels come off the thing, they're stuck in the mud, but if they, if they focus on what happened yesterday and how bad it was, you get depressed, you get bogged down, and you quit. Or you go back and live in Colorado Springs. No, no, no. If you're going to get over the mountains and go to California spiritually, if you're going to become all that Christ wants you to be spiritually, you've got to forget about yesterday's successes or failures. You've got to put your sights on what Christ wants you to be, and then you've got to press on forgetting yesterday, pressing on toward the future you have in Christ. It's a great reminder. I think that's what Sarah did. It's what the Apostle Paul advises us to do. And last but not least, I close with this simple statement. Hebrews 11.13 says this, And all of these, Abraham and Sarah, they died in faith without receiving the promises. And he goes on to explain that. But just notice the principle behind that. Pioneer faith never quits, never looks back, and never forgets the true destination, which is our eternal reward in heaven, our presence with Christ, the joy of knowing Him, serving Him for life to the end. That's your true destination. It's not anything on this life, in this land. It's eternal things. And I love that principle because it says, you know, Abraham and Sarah, they never saw the fulfillment of being a great nation in a great land that would bless the whole earth. They never saw it. They died. It would be many generations later that it would ultimately be fulfilled. Okay, and it's still being fulfilled today through Jesus Christ. So the beauty of this thing is this. Set your sights beyond this life even and live for eternal things in Christ like a pioneer. Because pioneers never say, this is good enough. I've done enough. I served Jesus when I was younger. I'm taking a break right now. Pioneers never say, I'm all that I can ever be. God's not finished with Dale yet. He's not finished with you yet. Press on. Don't settle for good enough. Pray with me. Father God, thank you for the call of faith to have a pioneer kind of faith that presses on to be all that you call us to be in Christ. Help us, Father, to model this faith. Father, I pray that even now as we give, that our giving would constantly reflect this kind of a faith that never quits, never looks back, never forgets that our true destination is us in Christ, built into the people you want us to be, and with you forever. Thank you, Father, for the chance to worship you as we sing and give. And, and uh, we know that uh, we, like Abraham and Sarah, have certainly had our stumbles, our failures of faith. But thank you that like you were faithful to them, you will be faithful to us.
In Christ's name, amen.